Every day as a Christian, I do the same thing. I wake up, get myself out of bed, brush my teeth and get ready for the day, make my normal cup of coffee and grab my keys and go. I drive to work and then I work and go home and maybe watch some TV and go to sleep. And I do this again and again, day after day. And as I live this life, I know there's more to it. So I ask the question, what is the abundant life? And how do I live and experience the joy of relationship with God? You know, when most people are asked about their life, very few of them describe it as abundant. In fact, if you talk to most people, there's always something that seems to be lacking. So if you talk to someone who has very, very little of the world's goods, they will tell you, I want to have this, and if I have this, I would feel more abundant. And it's interesting, you talk to someone who has much of the world's goods, and often you get the same answer it's still about more of what they want to have to think that they can feel fulfilled. Well, the fact of the matter is, Jesus is offering abundant life to everybody, and it has nothing to do with the money you make, the health you have, the things you possess, or the circumstances you face. It has nothing to do with it. In fact, today in John 10, he confronts a group of Pharisees who were misleading the people. These religious leaders did not have life themselves, and so they could not offer life to anyone else. So Jesus unfolds what this life is really about. And this is the way he put it in John chapter 10, verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, the religious leaders, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Let's pray together. Father, the abundant life is something everyone wants, but very few find, because it isn't found in the places we normally look. Thank you for the opportunity we have, by your grace, if you are willing over the next few weeks that we can learn together, so that all of us can know that we have embraced the abundant life you're offering. And we'll thank you, God, 
for what you'll show us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you know, if you've been around a while, I have a good friend, Sherman, who has played and coached for a number of NFL teams. At one of his coaching stops, he told me about a time when he was sitting in his office one day, and he looked up, and there was one of their young star players standing in the doorway of his office. And he said to him, Coach, you got a minute? Sherman said, Yeah, I got a minute. What's up? Here's what he said. He said, Coach, something's missing in my life. I feel empty, unfulfilled. And I was wondering if I could talk with you about it. You see, what was ironic was this young man was holding a check for $8 million that he had just received from payroll upstairs. And he's standing in the doorway of my friend holding that check saying his life is empty. This young man had good looks. He, had, he was athletic. He was healthy. He had fame. And he had lots of money. He is successful by every measure the world uses. He has relationships in abundance. And he is empty and unfulfilled. He has what everyone says you need for the abundant life. He has what most everyone else is chasing, thinking if they get it, they will have the abundant life. He has it all, and he's still empty. Actor Jim Carrey once said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. In the workbook on page one this week, we said all of this begs the question, how can you be smothered by the world's abundance and still feel empty and longing for more? It's because the abundance of the world will never satisfy. It was never meant to. That's why kids can open a dozen gifts at Christmas and express disappointment when there are no more. That's why a woman can finally get a diamond ring but secretly wish she had a bigger one. That's why a man can have a new smartphone and two days later he wishes he had a smarter one. And that's why people can buy new houses, new cars, more clothes when what they have is already more than adequate. The world's abundance leaves us empty and always longing for more, for better, for bigger, for newer because the world's abundance doesn't satisfy. Life consists of an abundance of God. The good gifts God gives will never be an adequate replacement for him. God made us to find our satisfaction in him. Not that getting something new or better is always wrong. It isn't. God is the provider of all we have. But if a person is trying to find joy and satisfaction in the world's abundance, then they will always come up feeling empty. Which is why Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 15, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. The abundant life, everyone wants it. God is offering it. And yet so few people find it. And why is that? Well, that's what we're hoping to discover together over the next few weeks. Today we're beginning a series of messages, The Abundant Life, Living the Joy 
of relationship with God. Jesus said in John 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. To have it to the full, to have it more abundantly. More fullness with Jesus than you have ever known or ever will know without him. More of life the way God, the author of life, designed it to be. Abundance. Not tied to health or money or things you possess or circumstances you face. This is life lived in the joy of relationship with God. The life God is offering to everyone who will find it in him. That's why Jesus tells us the abundant life belongs to those who live in the joy of relationship with God. But the question is, how do you have the joy of that relationship? How do you know that you know God and he knows you? Jesus tells us you must come to know Jesus the shepherd and to have that relationship, you have to come through Jesus the gate. To live the joy of relationship with God, we must come to know Jesus the shepherd. He said in verse one, very truly I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Barbara Brown Taylor, in a book, The Preaching Life, was telling how in Palestine today, it is still possible to witness a scene that Jesus saw probably nearly every day of his life. Bedouin shepherds bringing their flocks home from the various pastures they've been grazing during the day. Often those flocks will come from all over and they'll meet at a common watering hole. And it's not uncommon, she said, to have seven, eight, nine different flocks all mingling together at the same watering hole. And the shepherds never worry about the mix-up. And she said, it's amazing. When it's time to go home, each one of the shepherds will issue his or her own distinctive call, a special trill or a whistle. And you can stand there and watch the various sheep leave the crowd and come toward the voice of the shepherd. And when he's gathered all to him, of his own to himself, he leads them home. They know who they belong to. They know their shepherd's voice, and it is the only voice they will follow. You see, there is relationship there. The sheep know the shepherd, and the shepherd knows the sheep by name. The abundant life Jesus is offering is found in that relationship with him. That's why confronting these religious leaders who claimed to know God but didn't, he said, very truly I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow the voice of a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus came to shepherd his flock because the religious leaders were not doing it. In fact, if you go back to the Old Testament in Ezekiel 34, God plainly says, I myself will shepherd my flock through my servant David. Well, who is the servant who comes from the line of David who would be God himself in human flesh to shepherd the people, God's flock. It's not other than Jesus himself. He is a long-promised shepherd. And he rebuked the Pharisees, the leaders, because they were offering the people religion, and they were offering ritual, but they could not offer relationship because the Pharisees themselves did not know God. Jesus, the long-awaited shepherd, was standing right in front of them, and they would not accept him. In fact, the religious leaders could offer no life because they didn't know God, who is the life. You remember what Jesus told them in John 8, verse 55? Though you do not know him, I know him. How about that? To these religious leaders who claim to know God and lead the nation, Jesus said, you don't know God. But I know him. If I said I did not, I'd be a liar like you. And there's God's assessment of people who claim they know God, but they don't. They're lying. I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and obey his word. And when Jesus said, I know God the Father, he used the same word know that he used to describe when the sheep know his voice. It's a word meaning complete understanding thorough knowledge of, intimately acquainted with, there's relationship there. It's the same idea when it says a man knows his wife or a wife knows her husband. There's intimacy. There's relationship. What Jesus was saying was that the key to the abundant life is to know God the way Jesus knows God. They have relationship. And only Jesus can offer that. That's why only in relationship with him can you find life. In John 10, Jesus said, the gatekeeper, who in this analogy is God, opens the gate for him, the true shepherd, and the sheep follow him because they know him, and he knows them. That's why it says in verse 2, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. The shepherd comes through the gate. The false shepherds are the ones who climb in over the wall. The true shepherd is the one who comes to have relationship with the sheep. And the sheep who know the true shepherd will not follow a false shepherd because they know the truth. They know his voice. So the question is, how do I know the voice of Jesus today? Amongst all the voices offering so much 
telling you life is in this or life is in that or there are many ways to God and there's so many different religions and all these other things. How can you know the voice of Jesus, this true shepherd, in the midst of that? Well, the way you know the shepherd's voice is by hearing the shepherd speak. The sheep learn the shepherd's voice by hearing him speak over and over and over and over again. It's no different for you and me. We hear Jesus every time we open the word to hear him speak. But not everybody who reads the Bible is listening for the voice of God. Some people study it as history. Some people just want to have insights or wisdom or understanding, and all of that's great. But Jesus said, this is a word that speaks of him, and when we come here, we need to learn his voice. This is why Satan works so hard to keep people from reading and understanding and absorbing and immersing themselves in this book. And pastors aren't immune. I talk with a lot of pastors today. And I almost always ask them, what do you do to feed your soul? What do you do to keep close to Jesus? What do you do to hear his voice? And many, many times their first response is, I'm reading a book, and it isn't this one. Reading books isn't bad. This is where you hear the voice of Jesus. Do you remember in John chapter 5, Jesus confronting the religious leaders said in verse 24, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, John the Baptist, and he has testified to the truth, not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing, testify that the Father has sent me, raising the dead, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, feeding the hungry. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Do you hear what he's telling them? You Bible thumpers, you Bible experts, you people who read this inside and out and know it for its law and all these other things, you don't know the one who this word reveals. This word reveals me, Jesus said. Here's where you hear me speak. You don't know my voice. And I know that, he tells them, because you read this, but you don't do what it says. And here I am, the fulfillment of the word you claim to know, and you don't know me. And you won't come to me to have life. People, here's the question. Do you know the voice of Jesus? Do you know him in relationship? 
If you don't, you can't have abundant life. In fact, you can't have life at all. You can have $8 million in your hand, have everything the world offers, but you will not have life. Relationship with God was lost in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve decided they could go their own way, they didn't need to listen to God, they could do it better without him. And they rebelled, and sin entered the world. Sin separates us from God. God is life. To be separated from him is the very definition of death. That's why Paul, the apostle, said the wages of sin is death. Adam and Eve sinned, and the relationship with God that we were created to have was lost. It was broken. And from that time on, Adam and Eve didn't live in the joy of God's presence. They hid from him. They had relationship with God, but they rebelled against him, and sin entered and broke that relationship. They were living in a state of death. God is life. To be separated from him is the very definition of death. Genesis 3.8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, hiding from God. We went on to say in the workbook this week, humanity inherited that sin nature from Adam and Eve, and along with it, the consequences of death and separation from God. We hide from God, or worse yet, we don't want him around. We reject relationship with God to pursue other things, or we elevate things to replace God as ultimate in our life. Without God, mankind is doomed to experience perpetual death. We feel an emptiness in us, and all the things we seek to fill that void only seem to leave us even emptier. When that happens, we're experiencing the brokenness our sin has created. That harmony with God, with nature, with others, and with ourselves is broken. There is a huge void and a sense in us that things are not right. Only God can fill that void and make things right. And until he does, there can be no life. You can have wealth and fame and health and ease and power and blessing, but you will have no life. Life was lost in the garden, and we're powerless to get it back on our own. But the good news is that God has done something to redeem for himself everything that was lost. You see, that's why we have the cross. That's why the Apostle Paul said to the Colossians in chapter 1, verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. The gospel, the good news of life through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul said, once we were enemies, now we're reconciled. Our relationship with God can now be restored because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Abundant life is found in relationship with God, 
That life was lost in the garden. It's been regained at the cross. That's why Jesus went on to say in John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, other sheep that are outside of Jews. It's the Gentiles, all nations. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. One flock, one shepherd. You see, the one who lived, died for our sins, was buried and rose again is the only one who can give you life. Every other approach to God will not bring life. Every other religion, every other means offered is only a thief and a robber that comes to steal life. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And not only must we come to know Jesus the shepherd, but to live in relationship with him, the joy of that relationship with God, we must come through Jesus the gate. He said in verse 7, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Today, there's an increasing number of people, even in the Christian community, who believe that all roads lead to God. That it doesn't matter what you believe, a sincere Buddhist, a sincere Muslim, a sincere Hindu, they can all come to God. It's just different paths to the same place. And there's increasing numbers of people who believe this. But have you ever stopped to think how illogical or even impossible that argument is? that all these different roads to God that are so different, with gods that are so different, could actually be the same path to the same place, to the same God? In 2007, Lionsgate Productions made a movie based on Max Lucado's book, 316, Stories of Hope. And in that movie, Max Lucado illustrates the odd nature of the statement that all religions lead to God, or all roads lead to God. And in it, he said, all roads lead to heaven. Well, the sentence makes good talk show fodder, but does it make sense? Can all approaches to God be correct? How can all religions lead to God when they're so different? We don't tolerate such logic in other matters. We don't pretend that all roads lead to London or all ships sail to Australia or all flights lead to Rome. Imagine your response to a travel agent who proclaims that they do. You tell him, I need a flight to Rome, Italy. So he looks at his screen, and he said, well, there's a flight to Sydney, Australia at 6 a.m. Well, does it go to Rome, you ask? Well, no, but it offers great food, 
Great movies. But I need to go to Rome, you say. Well, then let me suggest Southwest, Southwest Airlines. Southwest Airlines flies to Rome? No, but they win awards for on-time arrivals. You're getting a little frustrated, so you reiterate, look, I need one airline to carry me to one place. I'm trying to get to Rome. And the agent appears offended and said, sir, all flights lead to Rome. You shake your head because you know better. <laughs> different flights have different destinations. That's not a thick-headed conclusion. That's an honest, logical, truthful one. Every flight does not go to Rome. Every path does not lead to God. That's why in this week's memory verse, in Psalm 1611, it says, you make known to me the path of life. Jesus made it clear there's only one gate, one door, one way that you can come to find life with God. That gate, that door, that way is him. That's why he said in verse 7, therefore Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Jesus is using mixed metaphors in this analogy he's making. First, he is the shepherd who comes through the gate to identify himself as the long-promised Messiah of God. Now he's telling him, I'm not the shepherd just who comes through the gate. I am the gate through which the shepherd or the sheep must come. And if you come through that gate, Jesus said, you'll find these two things to be true. You will be saved, and you will go in and out and find pasture. Verse 7, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Whoever enters through me will be saved. You'll be saved from your sin. You'll be kept safe from the thieves and the robbers who are trying to come steal, kill, and destroy. Who are trying to offer life that they themselves do not have. Jesus makes an offer of life that can only be found by coming through him. You see, that's why Jesus earlier in Matthew 7 used some words that are very unpopular today, too narrow, too focused, too limiting, so people reject it, and thereby they reject life. What did Jesus say? Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Jesus is telling people, the way to hell is a freeway. People are all over it, thinking that they're headed to life by what they believe, but they're not. Life is found to those who come through the gate, the narrow gate. Small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. The road to life is so narrow, it's one person wide. 
You come to God through Jesus, or you don't come at all. He is the way. That's why Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, at the Last Supper, he told the disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God is life. If you're going to have life, you've got to come to him. The only way to come to God is through the gate, Jesus. Whoever enters through me will be saved, he said. He also said they will come in and go out and find pasture. I love this. People, that phrase that he uses in this analogy, they will come in, stresses the decisive act of coming to Christ and into the life he offers. You have to choose this. This is an act of your will. I've heard the truth and I now believe it and I choose to come in to God through the gate. And he said they will go out. They will proceed or spread out into the world, spreading the message that he's the only way. They will come in and they will go out. It's indicating a continual relationship. In and out, in and out. Wherever you are, you are in a relationship with God. It doesn't break. And they will find pasture. The word find is significant. It means to procure for yourself. You have it as your possession. You didn't just find it and discover it. You have it. It's the same word Jesus used in Matthew 10, verse 39. Whoever finds their life will lose it. In other words, you try to procure or hold on to your own life, live it your way, with you in charge, the way you think it ought to be, and you're going to lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it, will procure it, will have it, will possess it. You'll have life in abundance because you'll have it through Jesus. And they will go in and out and find pasture. Man, what a beautiful figure of speech that is. Jesus uses that to describe the fullness of everything sheep need and want. What do they need? They need a place to eat. They need a place to rest. They need a place to live. They need to know they're protected. They need to know that they're under the watchful eye of their shepherd. So wherever you go with the shepherd, Jesus said, if you come to him through the gate, God will supply what you need. Maybe not everything you want, but he'll supply what you need. Jesus said he was the gate for the sheep and the good shepherd. If you want life, he said, you must come through him and become one of his sheep in his pasture. Life is found in relationship with him. That's why John the Apostle said in 1 John 5, verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. In the workbook this week, we reminded people that the key to the abundant life we seek is not found in what we have, but in whom we have. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 
That's the life God created us to live, and that's the life he offers to those of us who listen to his voice and come through the gate to the good shepherd who is life. That's why our memory verse this week is from Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You'll never know the joy of the abundant life now or ever if you think you can get to God by any other means than through the gate who is Jesus Christ. He said in verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. People ask me, from time to time. Larry, do you, do you play the lottery? Now, there was a time in my life before I knew Jesus, and even early on while I was a Christian, I said, of course. I'm sending back the sweepstakes tickets. I'm gambling and doing whatever I can do to try to get ahead financially. People ask me today, Larry, do you play the lottery? And I can say to them, well, no, I don't. But then I ask them, why would I? Why would I? What would I hope to gain that I don't already have? Is it more money I'm after? More things I hope to possess? A better life as I understand it? Jesus said life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So if I can't find life right now in my current circumstances, I'm not going to find it in the midst of more of what the world is offering. Those things are thieves and robbers. They don't give the abundant life. They can only steal it. People, this is why, this is why you can talk to persecuted Christians around the world who have lost everything for their stand of Jesus. They've lost their family, they've lost their health, they've lost their possessions, and many of their loved ones have lost their life. And you talk to these people, and there's a, there's a theme that runs through their lives, many of them. And it's joy. It's joy. They have found something in losing everything. That many of us who are chasing everything will never find. People, it isn't whether you're poor or rich, that's not the issue. You can be poor and have none of the world's goods, or you can be rich and have all the world's goods, and you still don't have life. How much you have is not the key. It's how much of Jesus you have that's the key. How much of his life is being lived through you that's the key. 
The abundant life is found in living an abundant relationship with God. Jesus said in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Satan's the thief. He'll offer a zillion different ways to keep you from life. Many are on that road. It's a road to destruction. To have that life in abundance, you have to come to relationship with God by knowing Jesus the shepherd. And the only way you can do that is by coming through Jesus the gate. And he said, if you do that, I will give you life to the full. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday. He said something that really struck me. And it illustrates beautifully what Jesus is teaching. We're standing there talking, and he simply said to me, I've had the world abundance. I've had the houses, the cars, the six-figure salary, and I was miserable. Today, I have almost nothing of those things left. And here I am, he said, approaching 74 years old. And now I finally have more joy in my relationship with Jesus than I ever had without him. The abundant life. Are you living it? It has nothing to do with your health or your wealth or your possessions or your circumstances. It's available to all. God is offering it. There are very few who find it. It's found by those who are living the joy of relationship with God. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Lord, I have a lot to learn about this. I am as prone to chasing things as anybody. And every time I do, you keep reminding me, Larry, what are you after that you don't already have? I think of the words of the Apostle Paul who said, I've learned the secret of being content. I can do all things through Christ. Lord, it's our hope that if you, by your grace, will give us these next few weeks to study these things together. So we learn about the fruitful life and the transformed life. As we learn about all the different aspects of what it really means to have abundant life. I pray that you will change me, you will change us as a people. So that whatever we have, we'll thank you for it. Whatever you put in our future, we will know what to do with it. So that we could honestly say that whether we have few of the world's goods or many, we have an abundant life. Living the joy of relationship with God. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.